Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, and we are, as Pastor Brick shared, continuing our Changes series. If you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you would like one to follow along, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word. As I said, we've been in this series called Changes, and We really kicked it off thinking about, okay, new year, new opportunities, wanting to make changes. How do we make the kind of changes that provide lasting, deep change in our lives? Because all of us could make the superficial changes, right? I mean, we could do this or that, tweak this or that, but it really doesn't get at the core of who we are. And so what we've been looking at over these last four weeks is how do we really change? What does true, lasting change look like? I want to encourage you, if you're new or you want to catch up or you're just looking for more resources, we have a ton of stuff right here at this link, nola.vcmvmt.com slash changes. And where we have been is we started in week one asking the question, what are you waiting for? We looked at Paul's letter to the, uh, the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we said, listen, if we're going to change, we have to do something. We have to start somewhere. Week two, we said, don't believe the hype. That at its core, the reason that you and I need to change is because we have a sin problem. I know our world, our culture doesn't like to talk about that, doesn't like to think about that, but at at our core, we're sinful and therefore separated from God and out of relationship with God, and that's what we were created for, to be in relationship with God. Week three, we talked about seeing the whole picture, that if we're going to change, we're not just changing one part of us, But God literally wants to change every single part of our being. And then last week, we looked at this. It's all about who you know. And really, I would encourage you to think about it like this. Last week was part one. Today is part two. We talked about it's all about who you know. Who is it that we should know? Everybody? There we go. And thank you for giving that a hearty reply. The 9 a.m. was struggling with that this morning, right? I'm just going to let you know that. So... It's all about who you know. It's all about knowing Jesus. We talked about being united with Christ. And when we are united with Christ, everything that is in Jesus, all of the blessings and the life and the eternal uh, power and nature we have when we are united with him. Think about it like this. It's It's always about relationship. It's about being in relationship with Jesus. And when you are in relationship with Jesus, you receive what is his. And here's what I want you to think about today as we talk about our topic. is really, it's about the relationship we have with Jesus and in receiving the grace that he gives. Not just for the first time, not just being declared righteous, but living in that grace. That's important 
because what we're going to be talking about today are spiritual habits. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Change is possible when we enable God to transform us through, everybody say, intentional. Everybody say, consistent. Con intentional, consistent practice of spiritual habits. Let me say it again. Change is possible when we enable God to transform us through the intentional, consistent practice of spiritual habits. Now, all of that has to be understood in light of grace. Because what I want you to understand is what we're going to be talking about today is not you twisting God's arm. It's not you earning God's favor. Everything that God gives is given by grace. Amen? Grace is what? It's something that you get that you don't earn. And so this transformation, while yes, we have a part to play, it comes because we are in relationship with Jesus and we are given his grace. But it requires the intentional, consistent practice of spiritual habits. Colossians chapter 3. Paul's written this letter to the church at Colossae, and really, if you want to encapsulate the entire book in one word, you could say it's this, enough. Jesus is enough. And as you get to chapter 3, Paul is basically beginning to play out, if Jesus is enough, then this is what your life should look like. And in verses 16 and 17, he says specifically how we begin to apply the truth of Jesus being enough to our lives and how this ultimately for us ties to spiritual habits. So let's look at verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all of wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, spiritual habits change us when they, number one, implant the gospel in you. Spiritual habits change us when they implant the gospel in you. Go back and look at verse 16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell. Everybody say dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, in order to understand what Paul is getting at here, you have to start with what does he mean when he says the word of Christ? Some translations say the message of Christ. What Paul is getting at is he's getting at the gospel. He is saying that you need to let the gospel, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus dwell in you. The good news of Jesus, that Jesus, who is God, left heaven, came to earth, put on flesh, the story of Christmas that we just celebrated, became human, lived a perfect, sinless life but went to the cross not for his sin, but for our sins, didn't stay dead, rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. That is the message of the gospel. That is the word of Christ. And what Paul is getting at is it's not just 
implanting that message that Jesus died for me, that Jesus rose for me, but it's also implanting within you the implications of the gospel, that if Jesus did this, then this is what it means for my life, that it changes me, that I'm a different person, that I'm freed from my sin, that I'm given life, not just eternal life, but life now, that everything that is in Christ, it's what we talked about last week, becomes mine. Paul is saying that is what you plant within you. That is the message that you put within your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell. What does it mean when Paul says for the word of Christ to dwell? The word dwell literally has this meaning. It's to take up permanent residence or to find a home within you. Now, think about it like this. There is a difference between living in a hotel room and living in your home, right? When you go on a trip and you go to a hotel, do you pack all of your belongings? I know some of you do, and you should probably trim down your baggage, right? But when you typically go to a hotel, you're not bringing your pictures, right? You're not bringing all of your stuff. You're packing just enough for that trip. If you're gone a week, you need just enough clothes, just enough stuff for that week. When you walk into the hotel room, you're not taking stuff off the wall and hanging up your family pictures, right? You're not doing any of that. You're just taking your baggage, you're unpacking it, and you're just doing enough to be there for the week. But when you move into a home, you're making it your own, right? You're putting family pictures on the wall. You're making it feel like you want it to feel. You want it to feel like home. And Paul is saying this, listen, the gospel should be in you so much that it's not like Jesus is staying at a hotel, but it's like Jesus is staying at your home. That's what he means when he says it should dwell in you richly. And it shouldn't just be like it's just the, 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 the mat at the front door where it's like Jesus welcomes you and that's it. For it to dwell in you richly means it needs to be in abundance, means that it's not superficial or it's not passing, but rather it is deep and penetrating. So for the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, it's like, listen, when I walk into your home, I should see Jesus everywhere. When you open up your heart and open your mind, you should see Jesus everywhere. That's the kind of image that Paul is trying to get us to understand. Here's the thing for you and I that's so important. Every spiritual habit should implant the gospel in you. Every spiritual habit. Now here's the thing. It's okay if some habits don't implant the gospel in you. Because not every habit is a spiritual habit. Some habits are good, but they're not spiritual habits. But if it is a spiritual habit, it should implant the gospel in you. And you cannot confuse the means and the end. This is where I think we get in trouble so much. Because it's just like, listen, if I would just read my Bible more, if I would just pray more, either A, God would love me, or I would be changed. The spiritual habit is the means, it's not the end. Listen to this, the effectiveness of a spiritual habit is not in the habit itself. 
It's not in the means. It's in whether it implants the gospel in us and allows the gospel to change us. That's where the effectiveness is. It's what we talked about last week. It's all about who you know. You you and I, we never graduate from the gospel. There should never be a moment in our lives where we say, okay, that's great, the death, resurrection of Jesus. Can you tell me something more uh, enriching? Can you tell me something more that's going to change me? What Paul is saying is, listen, it's about the gospel and all the implications that flow from the gospel that will change you. And that's why the spiritual habits are just a means. If the spiritual habit isn't doing what it's supposed to do, implanting the gospel within you, then it's not going to do anything. Why? Because change comes by whom? His name is? Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus working in you and I that changes us. Not the reading of our Bibles and prayer. Do you catch that? It's a a minor distinction. But when we read our Bibles and when we pray, when we practice spiritual habits, we encounter the living Jesus and His grace comes into us. That's what Paul is getting at when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. I know that I have quoted this book over and over and over again, but I can't recommend it enough. John Mark Comer's Live No Lies. And I've shared this quote with you before, but it's a reminder for us. He says this, what we give our attention to will shape the persons we become. What we think about, we become. Do you meditate and think about the gospel more than everything else that fills your mind? That's a challenge for every single one of us. Because if, this is, if that quote is true, and I think it is, then that means the thing that we're consuming most is the thing that's shaping us the most. And Paul is simply saying to us in Colossians 3, if the word of Christ is dwelling within us richly, it's living in us. And therefore, it's the thing that we think about. It's the thing that keeps us awake at night. It's the thing that drives us. So here's two questions for you to consider this week. Number one, what are you casually allowing to be implanted within you? Stuff that you're not even thinking about. But all of a sudden you begin to think, man, I listen to that show every week, or I watch that TV show every week, or I listen to that music every week. And please hear me out. I'm not telling you to be a legalist and cut all of these things. I'm just simply telling us and reminding us that when we consume stuff, it is doing something to us. And if that's true, then the second question is even more important. What are you intentionally implanting within you? Are you intentionally implanting the gospel and its implications in your life? Implant the truth of the gospel. But secondly, Paul makes it a point for us to understand that spiritual habits change us when they force yourself or ourselves not to go alone. The context of this passage is not the individual but the church. Let me tell you why that's true. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. 
What Paul is saying is not the singular you, but the plural you that we know as y'all. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all, all of us. Why does he say that? Because then he says teaching and admonishing what? One another. You can't teach and admonish one another by yourself. The context, the sphere of influence that Paul is getting at is he's saying, listen, all of this that I'm telling you, it happens in community. It happens when we are around other people, when we are together with one another. Paul's emphasis is that more often than not, spiritual formation or the most effective formation occurs in community rather than by yourself. Now, listen, here's the thing. Spiritual formation happens by yourself. I mean, there's a reason that for centuries, Christians have been telling other Christians, hey, read your Bible. Hey, pray, practice this thing called quiet time or, you know, silent time or whatever you want to call it. Do that. And you should. Get up in the morning. Read your Bible. Pray. Do that. Be alone. I don't know if you're like me. I'm never alone. It's either one of my children in my lap while I'm doing this or it's my 70-pound dog on top of me doing it, right? But you have to do that. But what Paul is getting at is that most spiritual formation actually occurs not when we're by ourselves, but when we're with one another. The, the, the theological and the spiritual reality is that we're all parts of the body, right? Some of you are an arm, some of you are a leg, some of you an eye, some of you, we really need the bottoms of our feet. You're a bottom foot. That's great. That's incredible, right? That's the, th the theological and spiritual reality. But the thing that happens is when we have our whole body, we're able to use all of our senses. And we're able to acknowledge what God might be doing in our lives when we have both ears, both eyes, both nostrils, a mouth, and our hands. But if you're by yourself and you only have one finger, you can't acknowledge everything that God might be trying to show you. And that's the power of community. It's one of the reasons that I love to be a part of a V group. I mean, I lead my V group, right? So I'm the one coming in saying, okay, this is what we're going to talk about. This is the direction that we're going to go. And I'm trying to provide not only some facilitation of discussion, but some teaching moments. But one of the things I love about being a group more than anything is when my group is teaching me something. And it's this reminder for me that I'm not the only one in the group filled with the Holy Spirit, but that every single person in my group, if they know Jesus, they have the same Spirit in them that I have in me. Which means the Spirit of God is in all of us, the Spirit of God that is the Spirit of Jesus, that is the Spirit of the Trinity. The God, the creator and sustainer and redeemer of the universe. And here's the incredible thing about how community works in spiritual formation and in planting the gospel is the Holy Spirit will show me something that's there in the text that I get to share with the group. But then all of a sudden, in discussion, the Holy Spirit has shown someone else in the group something that I didn't see. Now listen, I'm not talking about some hidden, mysterious knowledge that you only a few people can see. I'm just talking about the implications of the gospel. 
And in community, I'm learning and growing and being shaped because the Spirit is using other people in my life. That's what Paul is getting at, that we all need community. Paul did not understand. It was unfathomable for him to find a Christian in the early church that wasn't a part of the local church. Impossible. Every Christian was connected to a church. Every Christian was a part of community. And in our day and age, we should be a part of the church. And I don't mean when I say be a part of the church that you come here on a Sunday, you come late so no one talks to you, and you leave early so no one talks to you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there are people in this building that know your name. They know your story. They know your strengths. They know your weaknesses. They know the things that you need to be held accountable for. They know your phone number that when you need something or they need something, they know who to call. That's the kind of community that I think Paul is getting at here. The kind of community that we try to foster in our V groups, in our formation groups, and on our V teams. That's why we talk about that so much. Because we all need that kind of community, and we all find it in different types of community. Community fosters and furthers change. That's why we need it. So for you and I, here's the question. How are you allowing community to change you? Don't just be a part of community. Allow that community to actually begin to shape you and change you. Number three, spiritual habits change us when we adopt unique approaches. Look at what Paul says in verses, into uh, verse six, 16. Don't forget kind of what the main idea is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what he's getting at. How do we then do that? Look at what he says. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think what at the core, what Paul is getting at, hey, listen, here are some spiritual habits that when we're practicing these spiritual habits, we're doing things like teaching, admonishing, singing. Teaching is that positive influence of teaching. What you're saying is like, this is what the gospel means, and this is how it's good for you. Admonishing is that correction, that like, this is what the gospel means, and this is why it means to not do this. And of course, Pastor Mark would be so happy to know that Paul himself says that we should be singing. That in singing, we are forming ourselves. That's why music is so powerful. It does something to us. It literally changes us. So Paul says all of this, and I think what he's getting at are, listen, here are unique approaches to letting the Word of Christ dwell in you. It's not a one-size-fits-all for getting the Word of Christ in you. There are multiple ways to do that. And here's what I want you to understand. Every spiritual habit flows from two primary habits. And I think at its core, that's what Paul is getting at when he says teaching, admonishing, and singing. Every habit flows from two primary habits. Bible and prayer. In his book, Deeper, 
Dane Ortland describes reading and prayer like this. He says, reading the Bible is inhaling. Everybody inhale. Praying is exhaling. Exhale. You have to do both. You can't just hold your breath, breathe in and hold your breath, and not exhale. And in the same way, the, when we are communicating and practicing the spiritual habits, we should be inhaling and exhaling. Every habit, in my opinion, comes down to these two habits. Bible reading and prayer are paramount because they are keystone habits. If you're familiar with uh, habit formation in that world, authors and scholars talk about keystone habits all the time. And here's how one author describes them, and I think really gets at Bible reading and prayer. He says, not all habits are created equal. Some habits, in addition to changing one behavior, encourage better behavior in other areas of your life as well. Think about it like this. It's like exercise. Right, you might begin to exercise, and as you begin to exercise, you're starting to get a little healthier. And you're thinking, you know what? If I'm going to exercise, I might as well start to eat better as well. And that keystone habit of exercise kind of kicks your butt into high gear to begin to eat well as well. That's what keystone habits do. Another author says it like this, the habits that matter most are the ones that when they start to shift, dislodge, and remake other patterns. This is Bible reading and prayer. Because here's the thing, if you begin to read your Bible and you begin to pray on a regular, consistent basis, God is going to begin to speak to you in such a way that you cannot stay the same way. He's going to begin to show you the importance of what we're doing right now. That this needs to be prioritized, regular corporate worship. He's going to show you things like, you know what, you should be serving other people. Because that's what real love looks like. He's going to show you that a, a standard of the kingdom of God is generosity. That all of our stuff, all of our time, all of our energy is God's to begin with. And all of a sudden what happens is you're practicing simply Bible reading and prayer is God begins to knock the rust off all of these areas of your life that you need to change. And as you begin to change those other areas, you begin to create new, healthy, spiritual habits that help you do those things. That's the power of Bible reading. That's the power of prayer. So I think it's really important because I don't think, I think enough of us probably struggle to consistently read the Bible in prayer, to think about how do then we develop Bible reading and prayer. Four simple steps. Number one, preparation. Preparation requires you figuring out where you're going to read, when you're going to read. It encourages you to maybe practice things like silence and solitude to remove internal as well as external distractions. It begins there, but then number two, you have to begin to read the Bible. Bible intake is where this habit takes form. And, and here's the thing about Bible intake. It cannot be random. What I mean by that is you can't have your Bible on your nightstand and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible, but you have nowhere to go. So you just randomly turn and you turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and you know nothing about the book of 1 Kings. That's why Bible reading plans are so important. 
We've talked about two here, our F260 Bible reading plan. One reading a day, five days a week. It's 260 readings. And here's the thing. It doesn't say January 1. It doesn't say February 1. It just says day 1, which means what? You can pick up that Bible reading plan at any time. If 260 Bible reading plan or 260 readings is too much for you, start with Pastor Weaver's Refocus Devotional. It's out there at the Resource Center. 20 days. Any of us can do anything for 20 days. The the point of all of this is not even the Bible reading plan. The point is to be in the Word. This year, I'm just simply going through books of the Bible very slowly. I'm in the Gospel of John. And I'm I'm literally, it's what, February 6th today? I've just made it to John chapter 5 today. Why? Because I'm just taking my time. I'm just slowly reading through what God is showing me. I don't have an agenda. God, let me read this. Show me what you want me to understand about the life of Jesus and how it matters to me. So Bible intake. Number three, prayer. This is where we begin to pray. And I think we overcomplicate this because the Bible reading can fuel our prayer life. So I'm in John, I finished John 4 today, starting John 5. I'm at the end of John chapter 4. End of John chapter 4, a, uh, a leader A Jewish leader comes to Jesus and says, come and heal my son, he's dying. And Jesus gets a little irritated because everybody's coming to him to just see the signs. They just want to see the flash. I mean, it's incredible. Jesus is doing all these incredible things. We want to see what you're doing. And Jesus tells them that, like, all you guys are doing is seeing me for the signs. That's all you want. And the guy, the dad, again says, Jesus, please heal my son. And after that second request, Jesus looks at the man and says, go, your son's healed. And then you keep reading that story. What you find out is that the moment when Jesus said, your son is healed, was the moment in time, even though the father wasn't there, that the son was in fact healed. So you know how that drove me into prayer. I'm reading the text, and I'm thinking about the text, and I'm reminded that sometimes in prayer, bringing it to God once isn't enough. That I need to be consistent, like the man who said, Jesus, heal my son. So I just simply begin, God, what are the things that I've been praying to you that maybe I've gotten tired of bringing to you? I've gotten lazy in asking you to do something that you're telling me to do again and to pray for again. That's how Bible reading fuels prayer. Now look, maybe that doesn't work for you. Guess what? Jesus told us how to pray. It's called the Lord's prayer and you simply begin to take each section our father in heaven let your name be honored as holy you stop you read that you stop and you begin to praise god for who he is god thank you for who you are that you are a loving gracious merciful all-powerful god and you just go each step through the lord's prayer leads us to prayer lastly maybe most importantly grace give yourself some grace If you miss Bible reading today, guess what? Jesus isn't looking down from heaven, shaking his head and wagging his finger and telling you how ashamed he is of you. He's not doing that. Because it's about a relationship. It's about grace. In my marriage, there are times in my marriage, believe it or not, I know you can't believe this, when I do something to upset my wife. Maybe some of you are like, of course I knew you'd do that, right? 
Uh, by the way, vice versa, right? She does things to upset me. And the way to ruin the marriage is to never apologize, right? Just do something that ticks your spouse off. Don't apologize and see how long you're married. That's not a good thing, right? But you should extend grace in marriage. So when I do something that hurts or offends my wife, I do what? I apologize. Why? Because we're in a relationship and vice versa with my wife. And every time I extend grace to my spouse, our marriage grows. So in the same way, if you're pursuing Jesus, the, the end is not the means. And you're pursuing Jesus and you want to grow in Jesus, don't forget that it's about a relationship. It's about grace. So we give ourselves grace when we miss a day. Now listen, that doesn't mean you give yourself grace because you've, you're never going to read your Bible. You're never going to pray. That's different. But if you miss a day, you miss two days, give yourself some grace, pick it back up, and start over. Here's the question for you. What spiritual habits will you adopt to change? If you're wrestling with a lot of stuff right now and you recognize, I'm not been pursuing the Lord in Bible reading and prayer like I should, that's probably your first stop, the first place you begin. But maybe for some of us, we've been reading our Bibles consistently, praying consistently, and we want to add a spiritual habit, whether it's a, a, a Sabbath, whether it's rest, whether it's uh, the rule of life, whether it's silence and solitude, whatever it is. Lastly, I think this is one of the most uh, incredible things for me that I see Paul do. I think he says this, spiritual habits change us when we wield everything to change you. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, the totality of your life, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is saying, listen, everything we do, the things that we think are spiritual and the things that we think are unspiritual are an act of worship. And if all of that stuff is an act of worship, it can also be a spiritual habit that transforms us. Whether it is your marriage, whether it's your friendships, whether it's something like you do like the gym or working out, these things can be used by God. Anything can become a spiritual habit with enough intentionality and consistency. Now, don't forget what I said at the very beginning. That it's a spiritual habit if it does what? Implants the gospel within you. But I think what Paul helps us see is that if everything should be done as an act of worship, everything, if it's working to implant the gospel in us, can be a spiritual habit with enough intentionality and enough consistency. So how do we do that? A tool that we've talked about before, it comes from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. It's not a Christian book, forewarning, okay? I just want to share that with you. But the thing that I live by is that all truth is what? God's truth. And I think there's some truth to what he says, that if you're trying to build a spiritual habit, you've got to think about these things. Number one, the cue. You have to make it obvious, 
The cue triggers your brain to initiate the habit. So Bible reading. You want to read your Bible. You better put your Bible out where you know you're going to read it. Right? Same thing about having a Bible reading plan or knowing where you're going to read. If you have your Bible out but you have no idea where you're going to start, it's going to slow you down or inhibit you from reading your Bible. You have to have a cue. Number two, a craving. You have to make it attractive. This is the motivational force behind every habit. For me, the motivational force, the craving is I want to be with Jesus. And I want to hear from him. Number three, this is the response. This is uh, making it easy. It's the actual habit where you do it. So you pick up your Bible and you read from that day's reading. Lastly, it's the reward. You have to make it satisfying. It's the end goal. Be honest with you, sometimes for me, the reward is prayer. Because Bible reading drives me into prayer to begin to communicate with Jesus. These are all ways that we can begin to make almost anything in our lives an intentional conscious habit, a spiritual habit. So how will you be more intentional and more consistent? Whether it is with what we talked about earlier, Bible reading and prayer, or whether it is a habit that you know that needs to be a spiritual habit that you're not practicing. What are you going to do to be more intentional and more consistent to begin to build it in your life that through that habit, Jesus changes you? I want you to think back to what I said at the very beginning about letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, to implant the gospel in you. And I want you to imagine for a moment that if I or anybody else could open up your mind and open up your heart, what would they see if they walked in? If they, if they were able to get into your mind, into your heart, what would they begin to see? Would they see the gospel everywhere? Would they see signs of Jesus all over your mental and heart house? Or would they see other things? I'm not saying the other stuff is bad, right? I have other things on my walls than just pictures of my family and my kids. But my prayer for each one of us is that the thing that people see the most is Jesus. And the only way for you and I to be able to have our hearts and our minds full of the gospel is for us to take the gospel and implant it in our minds and our hearts. And the way in which we do that is through the spiritual habits. So, just to get you thinking, what would it look like if you said, you know what, I'm going to take that one habit and I'm going to be intentional. And I'm going to be consistent with it. Then what would it look like if you said with that one habit, I'm going to try and practice that habit for the next four weeks. 
You give yourself an entire month to give Bible reading and prayer a chance, to give that other spiritual habit a chance. Now, I'm not saying, again, that the answer is build the habit and do the habit and that changes you, but I'm telling you that spiritual habits change you. Spiritual habits change you not because of themselves, but because of the gospel that's attached to them. That you begin to implant in your life. And because you have that relationship with Jesus, the grace of Jesus comes through those habits into your heart, into your mind, into your life. Be intentional and consistent. And watch God slowly transform you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the message of your son Jesus, God, that he came to earth, put on flesh, died for us, rose for us. And we thank you, God, that even today, 2,000 years later, the truth of that gospel is still needed in our lives. And God, we thank you that you have given us means by which we can implant that truth in us. So I simply pray and ask, God, that we would be intentional this week, that we would begin to be consistent this week to build those habits that your grace might change us. Help us now as we respond to you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We ask this in Jesus' name.